The Midweek Muscle Podcast. Midweek. The Midweek Muscle Podcast starts now. Hey, good people. This is Jay-Z bringing you your dose of the Midweek Muscle. We come here together yet another Wednesday. And uh, I must admit, good people, this doesn't feel like the usual. I mean, we are in the midst of processing pain and grief in some of the worst ways. And quite frankly, there's a huge elephant in the room that is just too difficult to ignore. So if you're joining me for the first time to listen in on this conversation, number one, I sincerely thank you. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And please know that 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 carries a heavy weight with me. I really, really thank you. But I also invite you to explore other episodes as well as this one, because this one is different. This one hits a little different because there's a huge elephant in the room. So you must know that today has a little bit of a different energy, um, especially today's episode, uh, because of everything that's going on in the nation of the United States and in the world. Um, I took to social media and, uh, you know, people who have been with me for a while, you guys know that I'm a little slow on social media anyways, uh, because I'm juggling quite a few things. However, I, I felt the strong urge to, you know, stay connected and to continue to share things on social media. And, um, I asked for commentary and responses for this week's episodes. And the responses were and have been so overwhelming that it's been really hard to put them just all up in one episode and say, poof, here you go. Um, so with that, I may have to revisit this conversation until dot, dot, dot. Um, but like I said, today's episode will be fueled. Uh, today's episode is definitely filled with people and their voices, and their thoughts, and their feelings about the state of what's happening now. And it comes from all over uh, all over the country, people in different states, uh, from celebrities to people maybe within your town, um, holding all types of professional uh, positions and uh, uh, celebrity statuses and politician statuses. Uh, there's a few clips from, uh, you know, uh, famous rappers or former rappers to to clergy to governors, uh, including local um, everyday people like you and me and the people we know, right? Um, and I felt like it was important to loop all of their commentary into today's episode. And uh, some, some, some who reached out decided that voice recordings were going to be what did it for them. And some of them decided to just write. And so therefore I will be their voiceover. But to that point, I need to make this disclaimer. Uh, The statements and opinions expressed are those of the presenters in this montage of today's episodes. So these statements and opinions expressed do not necessarily represent the views of Jay-Z and the Midweek Muscle. However, 
I want it to be an outlet for people to express themselves. And I wanted this platform to be open for people to feel comfortable joining the conversation if they felt like they couldn't before. There, there is some strong content, so less, listener discretion is advised today. Now, without further ado, um, if you guys are with me in this moment, take a quick breath um, because it feels heavy. It feels heavy because it is heavy. And uh, that's not necessarily how I like to start off or end our Wednesdays. But due to what's happening now, I felt it very necessary. And again, um, I felt it very powerful to bring these voices in a collaborative way into this episode. So jumping in, there's a, there's a lot I want to say. And uh, I just want to build a quick framework before we jump totally in, right? Um, and first and foremost, there are so many acts of perversion out there. Uh, and when I say acts of perversion, I mean transgressions against other people, but also transgressions against this movement, right? Um, if you're big on social media, you can't believe everything that you see, which is very important. Uh, as an example, Blackout Tuesday was just yesterday. And apparently it stemmed from the music industry to completely shut down and hip hop music industry at that uh, to shut down. So they, as a music industry, could reflect on the messages that they send out to, you know, people of color and how they represent the black community. However, you know, like the game of telephone, you don't know if it, you know, got mixed up on the way to the end user, right? It passed through so many years. By the time it got to the last person on the line, it's now turned into, oh, everybody just black out their information to go silent for Black Lives Matter, which that is counterintuitive if you think about it, to post a black photo and use a hashtag on social media means to black out all of the vlogging and blogging that exists with that hashtag. So when someone like me or you goes to look up that hashtag, all you see is black, which indicates mute this hashtag or silence out this hashtag. And that's the opposite of what we're trying to do. We're trying to amplify that message, right? So there's that. Um, or here's another theory that, you know, what originally started as Blackout Tuesday to black out from the music industry to reflect on how they're representing Black communities and Black culture and what gets signed, um, that there could be a third party um, infiltrating the system and using this against a movement to help propagate towards justice instead of... Um, Instead of it propagating towards justice, it's actually propagating towards divisiveness. And that is also amongst us, right? So we have to be careful of what we see out there. Um, and Blackout Tuesday is just an example. So if you before you just jump on a bandwagon and, uh, and connect or align with something, be sure it's something that you intended to align with, right? And not just something that because you saw it or because a friend of yours saw it or a family member of yours saw it and did it that you're just jumping on and doing it too. you know, try to find out the root of where that came from. 
Um, and it only takes a couple clicks to find out. People are very, very intuitive and uh, productive these days with social media. So it's not very hard to find stuff out. Uh, but moving forward, that's that's just one act of perversion, right? Um, transgression against others is another form of perversion. Um, and, and, and just we, we can name countless acts of perversion that exist out there. But as it relates to today, I just want to create this framework that helps you to understand some of the strong content that's coming out of every single voice. Whether you align with it or don't, whether you disagree with it or don't, whether you can't quite wrap your mind around it or don't, um, it, there's just something to be said for, for the language that is being attributed to today's episode from the presenters that are, that are soon to come. And I'll say it like this. Uh, if you have ever, imagine this, if you have ever experienced an act of violence against your person, yourself, or a family member, if you have ever experienced abusive words, threats, derogatory remarks, or being overlooked for a job because of your race, if you have ever experienced hurdles so tall because of financial access or advancement resources were too expensive for you or your family to afford to have a fighting chance of success, like education or tutors or A and B school districts, for example. Right? If you have ever had to worry about food or keeping the water or the lights on in your home because basic financial literacy was a foreign language in your home. See, be mindful, like really try to be mindful of those speaking up and speaking out. Pay attention to the people around you or the, or the people you call friends or the people that you are working with or the businesses that are contributing to pro-social norms or social activism. Pay attention to what they're socially activating. And, 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 and I say that because depending on who, who's in the money pocket of that business dictates the level of caution that business uh, uses when approaching social activism. Uh, and I, and I say that because really guys, like, you know, you see organizations like Nike stepping up and creating ads very quickly. You see, you see a host of small, medium and larger size businesses doing this, but then you also see a balance of businesses not. I haven't seen a JP Morgan or a Wells Fargo or any banks or any real estate or any hedge fund industries or any big tech industries really advocating to this type of social activism and get I get it there's there's different stakes in the game when you get to a certain tier I really do get it trust me I'm studying business I really do get it I used to work in 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 in, in corporations I get it however pay attention to those things be mindful of these things right because and I just want to put this plug in there remember uh, that in April of 
was it 2018 or 2019? April of 2019, the Notre Dame Cathedral burned. It took two days for billionaires to establish an international campaign to raise money to restore the Notre Dame Cathedral. Yet we have a 400 year problem that is a public health crisis and a national emergency where the victims are typecasted, abused, and considered thugs on a regular basis. So let's get started. I didn't want to come, and I don't want to be here. I'm the son of an Atlanta City police officer. Uh, my cousin is an Atlanta City police officer. And my other cousin, East Point police officer. And I got a lot of love and respect for police officers, down to the original eight police officers in Atlanta that even after becoming police had to dress in a YMCA because white officers didn't want to get dressed with niggers. And here we are 80 years later. I watched a white officer assassinate a black man. And I know that tore your heart out. And I know it's crippling. And I have nothing positive to say in this moment because I don't want to be here. But I'm responsible to be here because it wasn't just Dr. King and people dressed nicely who marched and protested to progress this city and so many other cities. It was people like my grandmother, people like my aunts and uncles who are members of SCLC and NAACP. So I'm duty bound to be here to simply say that it is your duty not to burn your own house down for anger with an enemy. It is your duty to fortify your own house so that you may be a house of refuge in times of organization. And now is the time to plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. It is time to beat up prosecutors you don't like at the voting booth. It is time to hold mayoral offices accountable, chiefs and deputy chiefs. Atlanta is not perfect, but we're a lot better than we ever were, and we're a lot better than cities are. I'm mad as hell. I woke up wanting to see the world burn down yesterday because I'm tired of seeing black men die. He casually put his knee on a human being's neck for nine minutes as he died like a zebra in the clutch of a lion's jaw. And we watch it like murder porn over and over again. So that's why children are burning to the ground. They don't know what else to do. And it is the responsibility of us to make this better right now. We don't want to see one officer charged. We want to see four officers prosecuted and sentenced. We don't want to see targets burning. We want to see the system that sets up for systemic racism burnt to the ground. But it is not time to burn down your own home. I love and I respect you. I hate I don't have more to say. I hate I can't fix it in a snap. But we have to be better than this moment. 
we have to be better than burning down our own homes. Because if we lose it, what else we got? We lose an ability to plot, to plan, to strategize, to organize, and to properly mobilize. I want you to go home. I want you to talk to 10 of your friends. I want you guys to come up with real solutions. Yes, yeah, so it's Mr. Showtime first name Hollywood. And I want you to bear with me for a little bit. I'm going to go back into January when uh, I first started hearing these reports from out of uh, China about this uh new uh this new coronavirus that's uh was taking over their country and people were getting really sick people were dying and my first thought was like hmm it's only a matter of time before this comes over here to america right just knowing how business works and being in new york i know travel going back and forth it's it's inevitable it's going to come here and i saw how they dealt with it over there they locked people up not in jail but i mean they told people to go in the house they couldn't leave but the way that government is set up, whatever the government say, you just got to do it, right? You don't really have a, much of a, a, a say, right? You just have to um, do, as, do, as, uh, do as they say. So I saw that and I thought, okay, when this comes over here, are we going to like lock down? And how does that work? What happens when you have a culture basically built on self and the betterment of self first? and me and mine what happens when those people are forced to do something that they don't want to do for the betterment of the people of the greater good so now you fast forward a few months you have the murders of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and now the people are in uprising cities are burning now the government has another predicament you have this uh this government who's built its brand as being a pillar of virtue loves all its citizens all its people the same right we don't go out and harm our citizens when they want to protest right we, we let them speak their mind unlike a place like china where you just like i said before you have to do what the government says so now how do we handle it because we can't use force because it would look bad things spiral out of control more and more and more and more and i say that this whole long spiel just to get to this um this final point i guess what we're seeing now in the streets all over America is what happens when dominant culture is forced to look at the self in the mirror and then they get stuck and they don't have answers. How does it end? We'll see. Beautiful people, be good. As a black woman, wife, and mother, I have so many emotions surrounding the state of our nation. I would say the current state of our nation, but just because more people are now talking about racism doesn't mean that it's something that's new. America was founded on racism and this has been an issue for black and brown people for centuries. Racism is and has been the American way. I will say that I am so proud of so many of my friends for finally speaking up and being willing to take a stance on the issues of racism and police brutality it's been so easy for people to stay silent for so long, but with the presence of social media and people literally being called to the carpet to speak up, people of all races are finally taking a stance. So many of my white friends have asked what they can do, and this is a good and genuine question. My suggestions are first to educate yourself. 
Don't just scroll through social media and think that you're now an expert, but actually do your research. Study the black history that they don't teach in school. Second, be an ally and a voice for the voiceless. Like the majority of African Americans in this country, George Floyd did not have a voice. If a white person would have stepped in and said and spoke up for him and say that he did not commit that robbery, then he'd likely still be alive today. When you witness injustices, big or small, stand up and speak out. This country will not change until the white people who consider themselves to be allies stand up to other white people with racist views. Finally, teach your children to be allies. If you don't have children, then teach your nieces, nephews, cousins, neighbors, whoever to be allies. Instead of pretending to be colorblind, recognize our differences and love each other because of them. This quote was captured from LinkedIn. Think about this for a moment. Before she was fired, and this is in reference to Amy Cooper, before she was fired, following wide condemnation of her racist actions caught on video, Amy Cooper was a manager. Undoubtedly, people of color reported to her. Think about their chances of success with a manager who, in her personal life, weaponizes her privilege and puts a black man in danger following a mild challenge to that privilege. Namely, being asked to put her dog on a leash pursuant to park rules. Think about what happens under her leadership when the stakes are higher. When, at work, she is asked to assess the performance of her Black direct reports. What voice would a Black man have have under her leadership? What risk does someone like her present to an organization's integrity, not to mention the liability risks? These are the questions organizations led by conscientious leaders should be asking and the type of bias they should be searching to root out. Leadership, inclusion, privilege, diversity and inclusion, DEI, representation matters, belonging, workplace safety. I had no prior warning, and so I was sitting on my couch with my mother watching the evening news when um, my phone started ringing and people contacted me to let me know what was happening. What disturbed me most was the... um, uh, first of all, the, the context which your um, which your reporting described that after um, speaking so harshly and with militaristic overtones to the nation, um, he 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 had the park of peaceful protesters cleared with tear gas and officers in riot gear to um, to to make a symbolic gesture holding a Bible as if to spiritually condone. Uh, a message and a posture that is antithetical to the teachings of Jesus and everything that we as a church stand for. Uh, I want to say to the audience, there's a bit of a delay, but the bishop and I can hear each other, but there is a bit of a, le- a, a bit of a delay. Bishop, what would have made his trip to the church okay with you? If he had come to church to pray, if he had come to acknowledge the grief and the outrage that people are feeling 
at yet another senseless, brutal killing of an African-American man at the hands of a white police officer. If he had come to speak a word of healing, to acknowledge, the, as, as your own reporting has suggested, the deep roots of racism that are at, um, that are, that are at, at the heart of this agony, if he had spoken a word of hope to the thousands upon thousands of young people who are wondering how they can, how they can live into their future, um, any of those things would have been a welcome gesture on the part of our president, um, but not, not a symbolic um, misuse of the most sacred texts of our tradition and the backdrop of our church. Another statement came through Instagram, and thank you so much for your, your excerpt. President says he's here to support and protect all Americans, then is quoted to say that if anyone breaches the White House gates, they will be greeted by the most vicious dogs and ominous weapons. This has gone to destroying property for self-gain and not to honor Floyd. These people gather to protest is welcome in my mind, but when stores are looted, my brother-in-law works for a retail company who said they lost over a million dollars in product in one night. The message is gone. Also seeing white boys walking out of Target with handful of Legos just proves my point. With COVID keeping us at home, a president who could care less, and now this asshole cop killing Floyd, people are just a powder keg waiting to explode. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, obviously, right? Obvious stuff to talk about, you know, the stuff that's going on with, with like George Floyd, stuff that's going on with uh, uh, our, our our president. I mean, stuff that's going on with COVID nineteen. We're still a we're, we're we're still in the middle of this pandemic. And like, yo, I, I mean, can anybody appreciate the irony that we're in this pandemic? They're telling us to social distance. Um, they're saying that if you are going to go outside, wear a mask, wear gloves. And people are outside and they're wearing masks and gloves and they're fucking shit up. And, yo, listen, this is, this is, this is very, these are very real, serious things that people are facing things that are going on right now these are these are very i mean i mean serious these are these are really 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 major major issues right but here we are where um people are frustrated and people are using this time to I guess express themselves or live their long lost lost dreams of vigilantism's out. You know what I'm saying? Um, breaking windows and on. I, I don't know. I'm not saying that they should. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. But I do agree with the premise that it's either going to be freedom for all of us or freedom for none of us. Period. We're either going to figure out a way on how we're going to be comfortable together, how we're going to live comfortably together, or I'm going to make all of you uncomfortable. I am a fan of that. I support that. If I ain't having fun, ain't nobody having none. Fuck that. I support that. Period. Point blank. That's 
especially at a time when the only violent crime that's going up is police shootings. Crime has been going down every year consecutively for the last 29 years. Yet, brothers getting killed for jogging, women getting killed for sleeping in their house. But, but what justification is there? Y'all talking about chill. Chill don't pay the bills. Y'all talking about be cool. Niggas been cool. Niggas been cool when y'all killed 12-year-old Tamir Rice in a park at a time when people complain about kids not going outside to play. Little man was outside at a park playing by himself. Hmm. What's at stake? Um, I believe everything. Our, our entire existence as black and brown people in this country. I mean, the fact that we are generations upon generations of people that have come here, whether by choice or by force, depending on uh, your ethnicity, nationality. But speaking very specifically to my own story, the fact that my grandfather was 93, three years old, 92 years old, excuse me, when he passed away. So he has been around for damn near 100 years, right? So growing up for him, he grew up in rural Mississippi, grew up on a dairy farm. And when I say he grew up on a dairy farm, I do not mean that his family owned the dairy farm. He was part of the hands that worked the dairy farm. At five years old, working the dairy farm, um, seeing bodies hanging from trees because black folks were getting lynched, still are getting lynched. Um, but back then it was more, um, it was more of decoration than, than I feel like now. And it's just, ooh, it's, it's deep. Um, um, so I come from a generation of, I come from a line or lineage, I should say, of people who have fought and scrapped for every single piece of property, everything that we have earned in life was definitely uh, created through pain, through suffering, um, to push through on the other side to reap the benefits of that hard work, of plowing those fields, you know, like my grandfather, eventually when he retired, he ended up retiring from a steel mill, and he was able to send his children to private schools and him not even being able to finish high school, you know? So the fact that they pushed on that determination and drive to me and the, the obstacles that I face personally and professionally um, has never stopped me, has never derailed me, and nor should it. So with the protesters and, and the activists and the people enacting change in whatever form or shape that may be, um, I feel that it's going to be hard in the beginning. Change is hard. That shift that is needed is it is powerful, it is painful, but it is also necessary. It is also necessary for, for change to happen. Just imagine if my grandfather would have just decided that being a hand on a dairy farm was where he should be in life, like where would the rest of his ancestors be? Like where would I be? And I feel that the political system, they said, maintain this uh, toxic status quo, they have to be burnt to the ground for something else to arise, you know, like the phoenix, like it burns and it emerges from the ashes. This is a beautiful, magnificent creature. And I feel that after we burn this shit to the ground, 
we're going to emerge from, from the ash, from the dust, from, from everything that never served us as it should. And we're going to be this beautiful, brilliant, magnificent creature. And, and the systems are going to be new. Like, all this bad shit is happening is setting up the stage for us to be if we are emboldened, if we are brave enough um, to leap ahead, it will be this beautiful thing that we never could have imagined. Like my grandfather saw bodies hanging from trees and lived to see an African-American man elected into the presidency. Like the highest office politically, you know, any black person can take. My grandfather was able to see that. He never thought he would see that. Shit, I never thought I would see the day. My damn self, I didn't think people were going to elect him. Um, Surely surprised the hell out of me, but I feel that all of this is necessary for change. Change is hard. Change is difficult. It is necessary. Um, Suffering is necessary. After you go through it, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it's hard. But once you're on the other side, you're able to turn your head and be like, damn, look how far we've came, you know, like being able to fully embrace that present moment of of, of where you have arrived. So um, I absolutely, absolutely think that oftentimes with political power, it is not handed over like a baton on a track meet. Like you have to kick down some doors. You have to push some people to the side and say, hey, this is what we're doing today, guys, because this is what needs to be done. This is what's right. You know, like for a very long time, slavery was right, and then slavery has now transformed into the school of the pipeline and, and prison complex, and prison industry complex. There were so many other things in which it stemmed from, but um, on the surface, it was definitely an okay thing to happen. Um, so I feel that with police brutality, it's definitely not okay. I definitely come from the school of if you can't be part of the solution, then you need to get out of my way. This excerpt is from Facebook from B. Godwin. Thank you for sending. It reads, and thinking about a perspective on this, something that someone posted on Facebook resonated with me. In quotes, this feels different. Read that again. This feels different. An event like this is so routine that this tragedy, this feels different. This is not the first time that this has happened and sadly will not be the last. Let's be clear. What happened to George Floyd was murder. George Floyd, a black man, was in handcuffs on the ground and had the life pressed out of him by a white police officer when he made numerous pleas that he was in pain and couldn't breathe. The fact that fellow officers, at least one other person of color, stood idly by and watched this happen makes them accomplices to this murder. And yet everyone, including the person taking the infamous video, stood and watched this happen. Why? Because it's expected? Are we so used to it that our sensitivities have become jaded? We are in no better position now than we were 50, 60, 100 years ago. This is 2020. I, as a white male, 
will never know what it's like to be black in America. In my demographic, I can show up at the state capitol building armed with a semi-automatic rifle without incident while protesting, air quotes, about being told to wear a mask in public or not being able to get a haircut. But a person of color has multiple guns drawn on them for allegedly running a stop sign or is handcuffed, detained, on the ground with a knee to the back of the neck for over eight minutes while repeatedly saying, I can't breathe for allegedly passing a counterfeit $20 bill. If white folks only showed up to the same state capitol building with the same enthusiasm to end the oppression of others being killed simply for the color of their skin, as they did for being told to wear a mask in public, oh wait, John Brown did that in 1859 and was hung after being found guilty of treason. Why is ending racism in 2020 so controversial? We've only been trying to do it for over 160 years. Well, just in the past three months, it's 30 years of Rodney King and Amadou Diallo and Sean Bell and Abner Louima, uh, and the same case in states all across this nation, uh, where only the name changes, but the color stays the same. You then had the first press conference by prosecutors uh, looking at the Minneapolis situation that frankly raised more questions than it answered. And the real issue is the continuing racism in this country. And it is chronic, and it is endemic, and it is institutional. And it speaks to a collective hypocrisy we're very good in this country at telling other people how they should live their lives and how they should act, how we, we preach a high standard, but we still discriminate on the basis of color of skin. That is the simple, painful truth. But this is a moment for truth. Now, at the same time, it is equally true that violence never works. And even my son, when I asked him yesterday morning how he felt about all the news and everything going on, and if he felt like sharing um, a piece or two or something of how he felt, and his reaction was, I feel upset, I feel really sad, because I don't want bad things to happen even the good people. But more importantly, mommy, I don't want to share it because I'm afraid that people will hate you more for sharing out loud. And that's powerful. For me, that hits home. To be so afraid to speak your words in the direction of truth and light to the point where you're afraid you'd be shunned and to have that recognition at such a young age, it means that the exposure is out here and that our little people see it, but more importantly, they feel it. And so I rest that there. And let me just say every statement, every expression, every thought, 
was very powerful today. And I just, if I could provide a little food for thought for just anyone, it's just, again, all of these conversations create the context or framework in what you can use to trying to understand where your friends of color, if they are in your life or if they're people you work around, are struggling with. Because I can almost guarantee you something. If there's people that you know and they're people of color and they're not saying much, or, you know, honestly, like if, if they're not people of color, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter what the race is at this point. If there's people around you and they're not saying anything, it's either because they're not okay or because they don't care. What do I mean by not okay? There could be fear associated with even saying anything. There could be fear of reprimand. There could be fear of losing a job. There could be fear of losing out. There could be fear of hopelessness. And if they don't care or if they're prioritizing things over the value of life, that could be a whole different story. But I do want to leave you with this. And it came from a conversation that I was on with a doctor um, who talked about systemic change and bringing hope to people who may feel hopeless is that the race relations in America have been longstanding. This has been a fight that's been going on for years. But as with trauma in any situation, Trauma is loud when healing is occurring because guess one thing that trauma does? Trauma shows up when someone's trying to heal and it makes noise on the way out. So if this is our way of trying to make noise so we can work on our way to healing, it's showing up in a very big way. And again, I'm open to more conversation. I'm open to more thoughts, expressions, uh, statements, you name it. You know how to find me, Jay-Z at themidweekmuscle.com, or you can find me on all social medias at The Midweek Muscle. Um, I hope this was insightful for you today, and I hope it was liberating for some of you today. And I really hope uh, that it brought some, some life and love in the direction of truth and light. Also, I want to just throw it out there. Um, uh, I do not own the rights to any of the clips of Governor Cuomo, Killer Mike, um, uh, 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 the uh, the Protestant bishop uh, from uh, the D.C. church. I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on the name. Um, and and so many others who have made their statements gave me the permissions to use. Um, and so therefore, without further ado, um, let's go out there and try to have the necessary conversations, even if they're uncomfortable conversations. I invite you in to this home every single week. I look forward to being here with you this time next week. And as always, let's make it a great week, or at least let's try. And as always, let's go.